Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Let us pray. God of new mornings, God of light, we're almost there. Some of us are tired. Some of us don't know how to feel. Hopeful, exhausted, confused, joyful, overwhelmed. God, meet us in our current state, whatever that might be. Grant us your peace that for at least this next hour, we might look to you and be rested 
renewed and transformed. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I invite you to rise in body or spirit as we sing our first song. I was talking with some church members about the differences between Christian denominations, specifically the difference between Catholicism and Presbyterianism, which is what we are, downtown church. And one of the main differences is how we approach confession. So in the Catholic church, individually, you would go and meet with a priest and you would confess your sin using your own words. Whereas Here at Downtown Church, we do that together. In this part of worship, we say a prayer of admission together. And the theology, the reasoning behind that is that sometimes, sometimes when you are individually confessing your sin, you don't always hear the priest echoing Jesus' words of forgiveness. Sometimes that shame can linger longer or you get stuck in a cycle where you think, I'm I'm the only one that's bad. While here, we know that every single one of us falls short of Christ calling for us. All of us sin, we mess up, your pastors, your preachers included. So knowing that this preacher needs grace as much as you do, I invite you to say the prayer of admission with me and then in a time of silence, we confess our sins individually. Let us pray. God, we are worried and distracted by many things. We admit that we haven't placed you at the center of our lives. Forgive us. 
Help us remember how our story is rooted in your story. Fill us with your grace that we reach out in grace to our neighbors. waters of baptism remind us that through Jesus, we are forgiven, which means we get to live in peace. Thanks be to God. Amen. At this time, I invite Silas forward with his parents and his brother for the sacrament of baptism. This morning, Mitch and Cassie present their son Silas to receive the sacrament of baptism. Today we boldly proclaim that Silas is a recipient of the covenant of grace. In baptism, God claims him as God's own, welcoming him into the family of faith and as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We are also encouraged because in no stage of life are we ever truly separated from Christ and the bonds we have from each other through him. Silas, may you remember that you are never alone. Your parents, your church family, and Christ is with you always. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as he delivered to his disciples after his resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and remember, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Jesus Christ, and joined in Christ's ministry of love and peace and justice. Let us remember with joy our own baptisms as we celebrate this sacrament today. Cassie and Mitch, having heard these words of scripture, I ask you the following questions. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, say, I do. And relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and to share that faith with Silas? Do you? To you as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, do you promise to guide, support, and nurture Silas through your words and actions with love and prayer 
Will you encourage him to know and follow Christ and empower him to be a faithful member of the church? If so, say we do. Let us pray. God, we know that life is not always easy. To follow your son, to follow Christ, is to die alongside him. But to follow Christ is also to be resurrected with him. So when the world seems hard to Silas, when the church, their parents, his friends and family mess up, we give thanks that you do not. Wow, that was perfectly timed. We give thanks that your presence will not leave him, nor will it leave us. We give you thanks, O Lord, for this water of baptism. Let it seal your child Silas and welcome him into your kingdom of undeserved love, radical grace, and abundant life. Amen. What is the Christian name of your child? Silas Jack Ray. Before we do that, this is Silas' big brother, Sal. Sal, do you want to test the water? Do you want to touch it? Yeah? Is it cold or warm? It's warm. Warm. So this water, it's ordinary water that God makes extraordinary. And that's, about, that's what's going to happen with your brother now. God takes Silas and makes him extraordinary. And he is ready. <laughs> you ready, Silas? Oh. He's a little heavy. Silas, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, watch over Silas. Protect him from danger. Nurture him in your love and give him a heart of service. We give you thanks for his parents and for his big brother today who commit to raise him in the faith. Bless them, O Lord, and equip our entire community to surround them as they grow in the faith. Lord, give us eyes and ears to learn from our new brother in Christ, Silas. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and the grace he offers to Silas and to each one of us. Amen. Friends, this is the greatest news. Silas has been received into the one holy Catholic church through baptism. God has made him member, a member of the household of God to share with us in the priesthood of all believers. I encourage you during the holy interruption and this break in the service to come forward and to greet him and to welcome him as our newest brother in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. If y'all don't know him, Drew Parker is our sound engineer. He's over there. And he, this is the busiest time of year for him, holiday parties, all that. And he's always here making us sound good. So go talk to Drew. He's amazing. And uh, he also has a sense of humor playing Walking on Broken Glass during um, Holy Interruption. Our second announcement is incredibly important. I want everyone to look at your program, Christmas at Downtown Church. Um, this is wrong. We are not doing one service at six anymore because it's gonna be 31 degrees as the high. And in Columbia, that's like Antarctica. So we're not gonna do an indoor-outdoor service at six. We're doing two services indoor at five and 6.30. Five and 6.30, I know that's a change up, but we wanna make sure that all the people that wanna come can be comfortable and hear about little baby Jesus. So five and 6.30, tell your friends. And if you show up at six, you'll just be early for the 6.30 service. Thanks be to God for flexibility amidst cold weather. Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, 
planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save many people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son and he named him Jesus. The word of God to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a sermon about journeys, about George Bailey, John Wesley, and Joseph of Arimathea, about an old hymn of triumph, the complicated lives we live, and about the way we experience salvation through Christ, our newborn King. And continuing our Advent series on hymns and scripture, today we look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And whenever I hear this hymn, I think of the last scene of It's a Wonderful Life, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies. I learned yesterday from my wife that not all people love that Christmas movie. Um, Some people don't think it should be a Christmas movie, but I love it. And George Bailey, after a wild ride with his new angel friend, Clarence, stands with his family looking out over the kindness of strangers as they lay what little money they have on the table, making up for the money that his business had lost. And then together, the whole crowd joyfully sings, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's a happy song for a happy ending. Listening closely, the lyrics walk us through God's great plan for Christ, for us, for the world. Listen closely. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more shall die. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. This is the gospel summed up, accompanied by a tune we can all sing along to. And it makes for a fitting end to a Christmas movie. But if you watch the whole movie, you know that George had a rough go of it. There's even a point in the film where he comes home feeling low, having learned about his lost money, and his youngest daughter is practicing the piano. And she's learning Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And George yells at her, must she keep playing that? Taking out his anger on his child. Any parent knows we've been there. Our lives have ups and downs. Any journey does. And it took a monumental journey to get George to the triumphant and satisfying conclusion of this film. And today's scripture marks the beginning of Joseph's journey. The journey into the epic life that is the death and resurrection of Christ. I mean, Joseph finds himself at a crossroads. He's given a choice, as we all are, and whatever he decides to do will have drastic consequences. He can divorce Mary quietly, let her live the rest of her life with her son, and he move on. Or he can stand with her and face the consequences. He can listen to the angel who appeared, who said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
And we all know in hindsight which one he chooses. Despite just how wild the message that this angel gives Joseph, he says, yes, I'll do it. But the more I think about it, it's not nearly as wild as what the angel leaves out. I mean, the angel tells him that Mary will have a son, that he will be called Emmanuel, and he will save people from his sin, their sins. But what if the angel told him the whole truth with all its twists and turns? Imagine with me the scene of Joseph learning the real chaotic journey that he was stepping into. The angel would continue saying, so Joseph, this baby will be so popular that Herod will send a bunch of Zoroastrian priests to spy on him. And they're gonna travel thousands of miles to see him. Joseph might respond, I don't wanna entertain a bunch of strangers. What do Zoroastrian priests even eat? Mary won't wanna see them in her condition. The angel continues. And then this insecure ruler Herod, after being tricked by the priests, he will lash out and try to kill all the newborn babies, including Jesus. And so you, Mary, and this infant will have to flee to Egypt as refugees. Joseph gets a little fired up then. What? I am not traveling with a newborn. Listen, angel, do you have any idea how much stuff an infant requires? No way that's fitting on a donkey. But the angel ignores him, continuing saying, then this boy will grow up and start assembling this posse of weirdos, call them his disciples. He'll heal the sick. He'll visit the lonely and become a bit of a rebellious figure, preaching different words to what the Pharisees are teaching. Joseph thinks, well, that might make things awkward with some of my Pharisee friends at the country club. And then the angel gets somber saying Jesus will be so rebellious, so radically loving that he'll attract the attention of the Jewish elite in the Roman Empire. And eventually after years of ministry, miracles, sermons, and meals, your son will be killed, publicly executed at the age of 33 in the most gruesome and painful way. And your wife will stand and watch the whole thing. Joseph is silent fighting back tears. No, of course not. Why would I sign up for that? But that's not what happened. The angel didn't get to the grand finale of God and sinners will be reconciled. The whole earth will rejoice. That's the ending that we all want. But getting there, it's a journey. And the lyrics to Hark the Herald Angels Sing were written by the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley. And he had been on a journey of his own. He wrote the lyrics soon after what he would call his personal conversion. It happened on Pentecost, May 24th, 1738. Wesley walked into a meeting house in Aldersgate, London. And there he listened to Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans read aloud. And while he was listening he experienced a miraculous conversion and awareness of God. He later wrote, while the speaker was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Continuing, he said, I now find myself at peace with God and rejoice in the hope of loving Christ. And Wesley had already lived a lot up until that point. As a young child, he survived a traumatic house fire. He went to college at Oxford, became an ordained Anglican priest. 
He sailed across the ocean to Savannah, Georgia. He tried and failed to evangelize Native Americans in the Georgia colony. And he eventually returned to London and joined a society run by Moravian Christians. All that to say, Wesley had a journey before this single moment of conversion, a messy adventure filled with heartbreak and failure, chaotic like the lives of Joseph, of George Bailey, of yours and of mine. And I love preaching about Joseph because I relate with Joseph for several reasons. But for one, because Joseph said yes, despite having no earthly idea what he was getting himself into. I mean, as much as we try to plan the future, we have our five-year goals, there's so much constantly in flux. The world, whether we like it or not, is transforming, turning, changing. New life is growing. Old life is dying. And the constant force in all that is Emmanuel. Christ is with us. And we have our plan. Joseph had his plan. He was going to do the righteous thing. Divorce, marry quietly, move on, find himself a good Jewish girl, raise a family, set up a 529 savings account. He had his plan. But things turned out differently. And thank God that they did. In 2017, it was my first year at seminary in Atlanta, Georgia, and I had a bunch of plans. Pass Hebrew, find an internship at a local church, try to brush my teeth twice a day. And I can assure you that none of those plans involved falling in love with the most amazing woman who was a single mother of a five-year-old and moving to Columbia, South Carolina. But here we are. My spiritual walk with God, like the rest of my life, has been an unpredictable process. Maybe you're with me, full of bumps and turns, riddled with yeses and nos, with I'm sure this is the way and ooh, I wish I could have done that again full of mistakes, of pain, of joy, of hope, of moments of uncontrollable laughter and plenty of tears. My salvation, my participation in the grand narrative of God is constantly unfolding in front of me. And the little bits of wisdom I've earned in hindsight remind me that it often happens in ways that we least expect in the mundane daily decisions of our lives. Yet so often as Christians, we are told that we must have that singular moment when we are saved. And for some folks, they might have that. And that's beautiful. But it has never been the way for me. I used to go to this Christian summer camp where that really emphasized that single point of salvation. And for some, it might be helpful. But for me as an eight-year-old, I was really confused. At the end of each session, the whole camp would gather in this large wooden building called the Tabernacle. And the camp director would ask, who here has been saved by Jesus this week? And I thought, well, Jesus saves me every day, right? I wake up because of God. I have everything I have because of God, so I'm saved. That's what I learned in church. So I would raise my hand with a handful of others. People would clap. We'd come forward, we'd receive a Bible and a Bible coloring book. The counselors would pray for us and then we'd sit down. 
And I did the, net, the same thing for the next four summers. Clueless that it was supposed to be a one-time thing. <laughs> but to me, that's how I experienced salvation. If I were asked that same question today, I'd say, of course I was saved. I was saved by my dad who taught me more life lessons on the basketball court than I can remember. I was saved by my high school physics teacher who showed me how to be a kinder person. I was saved by my friends in seminary who picked me up when I was feeling down. I was saved when I was baptized, when I was loved by my parents, chewed out by my coaches, embraced by a community of people that giggled when I told a joke in church. I was saved when the pastor high-fived me after service and by the village that loved me into being. I was saved by strangers canoeing in the wilderness of the North Cascades, by an ex-coal miner in West Virginia, by the welcoming gifts of church members, by the meals of friends as our family has grown, and by the love of God which shows up in the most unexpected ways. I was saved when a Jewish carpenter agreed to stand by his wife so that the King of Kings could be born to us all. The story of Jesus' birth from the perspective of Joseph hits at the incremental, relational, and unexpected nature of salvation. God's plan, it seems, is that we find God in one another. In the long walk to Bethlehem that we all must travel together, that we find God in the hearing of Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. That we find God in the kind folk who lay out money to help an old friend in need. And we find God in Joseph who looks to Mary, starts packing both of their bags, loads them up on a donkey, looks at her and says, yes, of course we're doing this together. And when Joseph said yes, like a student of improv, God responds with yes and. Yes, and Joseph, my friend, there is so much more. And I, Emmanuel, will be with you the whole way. Glory be to the newborn king. Amen. Keep your lamp on. Keep your lamp on. Keep your Won't you pour me a glass of cool pure alabaster come Sit down by the fire Days are growing shorter Nights are growing longer Gotta get much stronger to me Are these hearts that burn the luminescent begging to invite you inside? 
We pray for those of us today who feel like George Bailey, stressed out with business, stressed by family obligations, stressed with those who look to us to care for them. We pray for those of us who do the cost analysis of life and sometimes wonder whether it's worth living. Lord, we pray for your light to find them, find us. We give you thanks for Joseph, the stepdad, who loves his wife and child so much that he puts his own plans aside to love them. We give you thanks for Joseph, who changed his mind to divorce Mary after speaking with the angel. We give you thanks for Joseph, who chose to protect the innocent and to raise the child as his own. Lord, we give you thanks for Joseph-like people alive today who put their interests aside for the greater good, who choose to operate with generosity and love and service. We give you thanks, O Lord, for the angels that sing like an encouraging chorus of saints who have gone before us, who point us, even when we're grumpy, to see your light and to see you conducting the choirs of heaven and earth as you draw near to us. Hear us now as we pray the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen. I invite you now to stand and affirm what we believe using the ancient words of the Apostles' Creed. And I remind us that the goal isn't that we all agree on every little piece of doctrine. The goal is that we join our voices and that we pass the faith on through. So friends, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
friends, Joseph had quite the journey and Christ was with him. The good news is Christ is with us on whatever journeys we might take. As you go from this place, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds until we meet again at 5 and 6.30. (laughs) Go in peace. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.